Hey fam, we are quickly approaching the arrival of the Showcase of the Immortals to MetLife Stadium. So that means the fourth wall WrestleCast is throwing a party. The fourth wall team will be hosting the first ever fourth wall WrestleMania tailgate event with proceeds benefiting the Ronald McDonald House Charities on Sunday, April 7th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. For the cost of only $5, your entry fee will benefit the Ronald McDonald House Charities and includes all-you-can-eat food, sodas, beer, and other refreshments, as well as access to fun games like WWF Old School Trivia, the Fourth Wall Cornhole Tournament Extravaganza. But that's not all. There's going to be raffles and prizes and music and special guests and so much more. For more information and details, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FourthWallCast or go to Patreon.com slash FourthWallWrestleCast. We will be streaming live from the tailgate on our Twitter page. So if you're not going to WrestleMania, you can still join the party. Once again... Come join the 4th Wall fam at the WrestleMania tailgate party on April 7th at MetLife Stadium from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with proceeds benefiting the Ronald McDonald House Charities. So come be a part of the biggest draw for the critics, the marks, the casual, and the hardcore. All right, fam, it is WrestleMania week, and that means it is WrestleMania Kayfabe Classics, and we are going to take you back to 2004 to arguably one of the greatest WrestleManias ever. I'm talking about WrestleMania 20. It was at Madison Square Garden, the main event, a triple threat match, the first ever triple threat match for a world title at WrestleMania. Triple H, the retaining champion, challenging the Royal Rumble winner, Chris Benoit, and his longtime rival, Shawn Michaels. So knowing that Chris Benoit was such a big factor of this WrestleMania, I had to bring in arguably the biggest Chris Benoit fan in the world to assist me with uh, this episode of Kayfabe Classics. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Give it up for the one and only J.C. Bone. Hey everybody, right. hello everyone. Infiltrated. Hello everyone. I'll be signing autographs later after the show. <laughs> so uh Bones loves the radicals and especially Benoit. And I was a big Benoit fan too. I, I still am a big fan of Benoit the wrestler. And uh when we were talking about uh WrestleMania Kayfabe editions, we were saying like we gotta do WrestleMania twenty right now. We're the WrestleMania is in New Jersey, which is you know, MetLife Stadium is five miles from Madison Square Garden. And this was one of the last great arena WrestleManias before WrestleMania became a stadium thing. And there was a, it was a stacked card, lots of awesome matches, lots of important matches. And uh, we're going to dig right into it. We're going to go right from the top. We're going to go straight down. Uh, the show started with the nice rendition of America the Beautiful, as most WrestleManias do. But then the real fire started with that very first match when we got Thug Anomics John Cena 
coming out in a Patrick Ewing jersey, knowing full well he's from fucking Massachusetts. He's a Celtics fan. And this motherfucker comes out in a Patrick Ewing jersey, does some, uh, and then gets to the ring, spits a ton of badass rhymes, including uh, something about Patrick Ewing and Gary Coleman and a tip-off. And then um, there was an STD penis rhyme. It was there's an STD penis rhyme in there. It was not the John Cena that WWE has built their brand around for the past 15 years. This was for those of you who don't remember John Cena in his early days. He was a boss. He cut the best promos. He was funny. He kind of, you know, the thugonomics thing. I wish it would come back at some point. I miss it. I think Cena needs it. And this match proved it. You talk about somebody who was over. How over was was Cena Bones? Cena was probably one of the most over top stars in WWE at this time, uh, and this WrestleMania is what what made him. This was the this was the start of his rise of being the face that runs the place. Absolutely, absolutely. He decided uh, the, the first match of the evening was a United States title match. Big Show was the champion. Cena came out to challenge him. This was Cena's first singles title. This was the beginning, like you said, of John Cena as we know him today. A year later, he would beat JBL at WrestleMania 21 for the WWE Championship. Note, man, you know, when we talk about how WWE picks their stars and how they push their stars and who they want to be their stars, one of the big things we we, uh, had against Roman Reigns was too soon, too quick. Right. Right? Too soon, too quick. This was perfect. They didn't put him in the world title match. They didn't put him in the main event. They put him in the opening match of the night. Let him cut a fire promo. Let him win a mid-card title over an established veteran. And you slow built it over a year to WrestleMania 21. A winning formula for Cena. Now, you can say what you want about the Cena character since Thugonomics. Obviously, he became the face that runs the place. He became the make-a-wish guy. He became the hustle, loyalty, respect guy. But you could see the potential oozing out of him at this WrestleMania. The beginning of a amazing run. What do you think, Bones? Oh, yeah. He definitely came out of his shell from his uh, debut match against Angle at this point. <clears throat> I mean, when was the last time we ever opened up WrestleMania with a rap about a penis with an STD? I don't think we've ever. I mean, or will we Ever again, ever again. <laughs> only only Cena can pull that shit off, man. And yeah. you know, look, people love him, people hate him. John Cena had the best career out of anyone who ever worked for the company, and this was just an amazing way to start him off. Like you said, he opened the match. He was slotted in the right spot on the card. He put on a really good match with Big Show with uh, uh, against a vet, and. At the time, he won the U.S. title, which I always view that as like the lower mid-card title. So it was a good place for him to start so then he could start to rise from there. Absolutely. And, and the Intercontinental Champion at this time was Orton. Randy Orton, yep. Ironically enough. Yep. Yeah, ironically enough. We'll get – well, speaking of Orton, actually, Orton was heavily involved in the next segment of Mania. Uh, this Mania really kind of was presented like a – Super, super episode of Raw. Yep. There were backstage promos. Uh, there was other things non-wrestling related throughout tonight as we'll get into it. But one of the promos was right at the beginning, right after Cena won this match, Orton and the rest of Evolution, Sans Triple H, mm-hmm. are in a stairwell. And it's the stairwell that Orton had thrown Mick Foley down a uh, couple, uh, couple months earlier in 2003 and kind of set 
the beginning of that feud, which culminated in their match later tonight, Evolution and a three-on-two handicap match versus the Rock and Sock later in the night. But this was really cool. You kept bringing up, Bones, how the camera kept shifting and how the placement of things kept shifting. It was really good production, really good cinematography. Yeah, it was, it was great production. Even for them being in a staircase, the lighting was perfect. Uh, but have, even though Batista and Ric Flair didn't say anything, they just looked at the camera, looked back and forth at the camera to Orton. It really made for the whole promo. Um, <clears throat> I love the different camera angles. One was right in front of them. One was from up the stairs. One was from down the stairs. It was perfect. It was a great, great production. And I wish they did they did um, segments like that more often instead of just the, the typical backstage. I'm going to, oh, th- what they do now, they do the, 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 the selfie thing. With the fucking cell phone, the selfie angle. I hate that. No they one need wants to bring it back to, to this. Like, they need to do some real production in these backstage segments. Because this yeah, is very, very powerful. The selfie thing, it's so bush league. It feels like something that a 12-year-old would do, not a professional right. would do. This um, is WWE I, trying to get with the times, but they're just... It, it comes off as hokey, almost, when they do it It like does. That. It comes off as very you know? hokey. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, after so Orton would cut, like, a little promo, and then there'd be a video, and then the, the camera would come back, and the camera would be somewhere else. There was one point where they all obviously ran up the stairs during yeah. the video. I can only imagine the three of them, Batista and Ric Flair and Randy Orton, just hustling up the stairs. All right, get back to character. It was cool. Like, all Batista yeah. and Orton, all the, I'm sorry, Batista and Flair had to do was stand there. Mm-hmm. Is it a stand there and look badass and help enhance Orton, who was the... You know, who along Batista was the up and coming town in Evolution. Evolution was awesome at that. Yeah. They didn't have, oh, if one guy talked, the other three did their job perfectly. Right. And even at that time in, in Ric Flair's career, Ric Flair was in his, was he in his late 40s? Or was he was in his 50s at that time. No, he was in his 50s already at that fi- point. Even at yeah. that age, man, he still looked so badass. In, in this promo specifically, he's in there with his fucking his fly-ass suit. And again, just his, his mannerisms, man, he looked like he's the guy you don't want to fuck with. You know, they really made all three of them look really good in this segment. Was it a custom-made suit? It, it had to have been. It's fucking, this is Ric Flair we're talking about. Ric Flair can't help that he's custom-made. Woo! Ric Flair can't hope that he looks good, that he smells Woo! good. Woo! Can you dance all night long? Woo! <laughs> Those you don't know, I love the niche. <laughs> I haven't noticed. Anyway, so after after this promo, we uh, had the World Tag Team Championship match. I, I believe the World Tag Team Championship was the Raw brand championship of the time. So it's the equivalent to what we know as the Raw Tag Team Champions. Now, and I think this was also... The tag team championship, and I didn't do my research, and I should have, and I apologize, fam. Uh, I believe this is the championship in the lineage that, like, Demolition held and the Heart Foundation held. Yes. I believe this was one. That, that that championship technically is no longer active. Right. So this this championship was defended. Both tag team titles were defended. This was the first tag title match. It was a fatal four-way. Um, the champions were RVD and Booker T. You can remember that team. Um, their challengers were the Dudleys, New York's own the Dudleys. Uh, Lobby's Estance and Gade and Jindrak. Garrison Cade. Garrison. Sorry, what did I say? Gade. Wait. It's a Gade. No, sorry. Garrison Cade. Garrison and Cade and Mark Jindrak. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, two guys that I vaguely, 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 vaguely remember. They as you had can tell, a very short run in WWE. Mark Jindrak had a short run towards the final years of WCW. Um, I think he was tag partners. He's in the, with so many... he's in the invasion, wasn't he? Was he, he in the invasion? He was part of the invasion. Yeah. Yeah. His, his tag partner at the time was uh, Sean O'Hare. He was one of the younger guys that came up from the power plant when Vince Russo took over. Right. And didn't really go anywhere, and, and WWE really couldn't find anything. They couldn't find any good booking for him in WWE, so they threw him in the tag division. The tag division, though, when we watched this, we said it's like this is very, very thrown <laughs> together. You know, a lot of single yes. stars thrown in with another single star that didn't have anything else to uh, that from creative. Uh, like, look at who the champions were. RVD and Booker T, which I loved that team. I thought those two were fucking great together, but... Who would who would have thought RVD, that one of the big names from ECW, is going to have a uh, a tag team championship with Booker T, one of the big names from WCW? Right. Yeah. Who would have actually? But it seems a lot of it's very reminiscent of uh, reminiscent of what WWE's tag team is today. Just a lot of not knowing what to do with guys, not knowing what to do with the division. You know, anytime I see a fatal four way thrown together like that, it just makes me think. They didn't know what the fuck to do with these guys at this right. point. They just put them in a match. The match itself was good. I was in an entertaining match, mm-hmm. but I mean, there was no video package leading up to it. That means there was no storyline leading up to it. Right. It was thrown together to get guys on the card. Yeah. And also, you can't have the Dudleys in a match and not have tables. And there were no tables in this match. That's true. There were no tables. So, I, I didn't even... Uh, I didn't even I get to that point where I didn't yeah. even notice that point. So you said it just now. Yeah. No tables. How could you do that? That's yeah. unbelievable. You can't have Dudley's and not have any tables. At WrestleMania too, nonetheless. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, after that, we had the uh, the culmination of the Christian, Chris Jericho, Trish Stratus love triangle. This was an entertaining mid-card feud. I remember this mid-card feud when it was going on. Cause, I mean, I just remember Trish. Trish was my... No, she was my bae, dude. She oh, yeah. was, I mean, oh, I, I would be okay with being in a love triangle as long as Trish was involved. Yeah, absolutely. This was also, before we get into uh, the actual match itself, really kind of funny side note we learned from doing some research and we were watching this yesterday. Um, it was Tim Watt's last Tim match. White's. Referee Tim Watt. Tim Watt, as Jr. would say it, mm-hmm. his uh, his very last match. He hurt himself in this match. Yeah, he, he re-aggravated he had, actually an injury. Yeah, he had a shoulder injury from a Hell in a Cell match. I believe it was with Triple H and Undertaker. I could be completely making that up, but he hurt his shoulder in a Hell in a Cell match and then re-injured it in this match. And this was his last match ever refing. And after this is when they started the Lunchtime Suicide series with Tim White, which was <laughs> the most distasteful segments they ever did. And unfortunately, it kept going for a while through the beginning of 2005 up until the unfortunate passing of Eddie Guerrero. And that's when they you realized, know. that's when they realized, you know what, this is kind of uh, distasteful. We should probably stop this. You know a segment really distasteful that when you talk of when like you see lists of most distasteful like angles in WWE history, you never see this one because no one even wants to think that this even existed. Even existed. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, the match itself, though, 
So in a card that had the triple threat match we already talked about, that had Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle, that had the return of Deadman Undertaker, that had Evolution versus Rock and Suck, the match between Christian and Jericho is routinely overlooked, and it is a fine display of professional wrestling. I would actually venture to say it was probably the third best match of the night after the two world title matches. I can totally agree with you on that. And honestly, I think it's underrated because Christian is in the match, and Christian is underrated. You know, this is around the time where he finally came out of his shell as a single star and really came into his own. Uh, I thought he played the part so well with, you know, at the end of the match with him and Trish and how he turned on, on Jericho. It was, the whole fucking story was just, was booked Fantastic. so well. And, and Trish they had, had the best facial expressions, yes. man. Trish's facial expressions when she was doing, like, the dirty Trish, man. Like, mm-hmm. the best, best facial expressions, man. Awesome. Good acting, good rest, great wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest, I'd say it's one of the biggest wins of Christian's career. Agreed, yeah. I mean, for yeah. anyone... Uh, unless you're Fandango, uh, yes, beating Chris Jericho at WrestleMania is uh, huge for your career. Yeah, unless you're Fandango. Unless you're Fandango. Oh, my God. I can't believe I was there for that debacle. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, great segment. WrestleMania started off on fire. Yep. So then we get to our first comedy segment, real comedy segment of the night. And um, I believe it's Coach, right, mm-hmm. going in for an interview. No, and Coach he, was sent backstage by Bischoff to go find The Undertaker. Right, 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 right. I'm getting my, my head all jugged. So, and that was, and I, and I don't know if it was the, the debut of John Morrison on WWE, but G, John Morrison's Johnny Nitro was kind of like Bischoff's little henchman at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, he was with Bischoff in the locker room. Yep. The locker room, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a So we get to this funny backstage segment with uh, Mean Gene, who is causing a ruckus behind a closed door deep in the bowels of the garden. And all of a sudden, Bobby the Brain comes out. Now, Mean Gene and Bobby the Brain. Bobby the Brain was inducted into the Hall of Fame the night before. Yeah. So he comes out. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes Moolah and the always hilarious Mae Young. But, Doc, don't forget, what did Mean Gene and Bobby the Brain have all over their face? <laughs> Lipstick uh, marks. Lipstick smooches <laughs> everywhere. So apparently this was the moment of the night where Neen Jean and Bobby the Brain were doing the dirty with Moolah and May Young. <laughs> <laughs> Brain had so much charisma still, even at this point, man. Yeah, and honestly, so much charisma. Dude, just going back and watching this segment, it, it's so hard, man, to watch these four Hall of Famers on TV and know that they're no longer here, man. These were four of the greats. You know, again, I know Fabulous Moolah has her heat, but love them or hate them, these four were such huge names in the early days of WWF, even through the Attitude Era, into the Ruthless Aggression Era. These were just some big... Bobby the Brain Heenan was a big name during the Monday Night Wars when he, when he was in WCW. Mean Gene is the voice of wrestling. Moolah and Mae Young did some uh, some funny but amazing things to enhance the Attitude Era. It was just an amazing segment to put the four of them together. They were Mean Gene and Bobby the Brain were, were, even though they weren't in-ring performers, they were awesome right. characters. They really... They, and they just... Bobby the Brain is my favorite wrestling commentator ever. Yeah. 
He's my favorite. He's my favorite color commentator ever. Yep. Odo loved dream dream scenario. Get Bobby DeBrain and Jim Ross in the Attitude Era. Could you imagine? Ooh. Oh my good. I mean, no, all all respect to Jerry the King, mm. but just what one or two episodes are raw. Give me that man. I, I always loved the brain dude. I loved how, how the way he antagonized. No one antagonized the fans like him. No one was better suited to manage heel wrestlers than him. Right. It's an all time. One, maybe one of, I'd say, top five non-in-ring performers of all time, Bobby DeRain Heenan. Yeah, hands down. Without a doubt. Anyway, so after this, we get our first glimpse of The Rock for tonight. Uh, the Rock cuts a very Rocky-esque promo backstage with Mick Foley. Um, he calls out Rosie in the hurricane as Hamburglar and Grimace, which <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Jimmy Perfect. Snuka and Don Morocco were also backstage at this point. Of course, Snuka and Morocco. Had their legendary steel cage match at the Garden back in the early 80s. Yep. Rocco, I believe, was inducted into the Hall of Fame the night before also. Yep. Yes, he was, absolutely. He was. So that was right before their, the Rock and Sox can match with Evolution. Three-on-two handicap match. Um, interesting how this match went down because the whole feud was mainly built around Foley and Orton. Mm-hmm. And the match seemed to me more built around Rocky and Flair having an in-ring encounter. Yeah, it was a very interesting booking, but it was... Now, this was the return of, of The Rock after a while. He was gone for how long? Uh, he His last appearance was in April of the prior year, so he's gone for 11 months. Okay. And uh, his last match was against the debut of Goldberg at Backlash, right. which he That's lost. Right, at Backlash. And Foley right. was out of the ring for four years. Uh, four years. Uh, up to this point. So WrestleMania really, 2000 was his last match. Yeah, up to that point. So it was very interesting that they really had the Rock and the Rock and Flair started the match, and the two of them spent more time in the ring than any of the other three superstars. Batista ha- had his a couple of his moments. Foley spent most of his time out on the floor. You know, and I mean Foley, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't in. Great shape, you know. He's uh, all respect to him. He's not the Rock, you know. Foley's not going out and acting in movies. Foley's writing some books and doing stand up nowadays, and I'm sure not keeping in the shape that's needed to be a wrestler. But you know, Foley obviously still knows how to take a bump and all that good stuff. But this was definitely Flair and Rock's moment to kind of tease the uh, uh, WrestleMania dream match. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I could definitely see that. And the Rock was still very (laughs) young at this time. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we both said this was before The Rock really blew up when it came to like uh, his body size. He was not as big as he is now. Uh, right. I think he he just added that 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 tattoo across his chest and his and his sleeve. So this was like this was the the beginning of the big growth of The Rock of his physical growth. But he was still in great shape. It was really the real beginning of like his ele- his escalation as a movie star. Because after yeah. this WrestleMania, he wasn't back in the WWE ring again until WrestleMania twenty eight. No, twenty. Well, WrestleMania twenty seven. He returned to host. Mm-hmm. So that's seven years later. Yep. He had a tag match with um, against the Miz and r Truth with John Cena as his partner. Yes. At Survivor Series of of that same year as WrestleMania twenty seven, so was that two thousand eleven. And then he came back at WrestleMania 28. And right. he had his first match back then. Had about a year-long run on and off. But this was really the, the, the end of, like, the first era of The Rock in WWE. Yeah, agreed. This was it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it was the end. I mean, it was in Foley was gone after this again in ring. It was just a one and done thing for him. Mm-hmm. It was just interesting that you built the whole feud around those about Foley and Orton. Why not build the feud around Flair and Rockmore if you knew they were going to be doing most of the heavy lifting? Just right. Interesting booking. Didn't take away from the match. It's still a pretty good match, mm-hmm. but interesting booking. It was very interesting, but I think, I mean, if, if you think about it, when, whenever you have them put on a match at WrestleMania, you're trying to target the casual fans because people that go to Mania or watch Mania aren't always the hardcore fans who watch wrestling each and every week. So you have two names, The Rock and Ric Flair. Have have these two guys that everyone knows do what they can in the ring. I mean, they had the fucking audience in the palm of their hands. You have oh, The Rock oh, do, doing the Ric Flair strut. You have Ric Flair doing his version of the people's album. Like, come on. That's some priceless shit. So even if you only watch wrestling once, once a year, you know Flair, you know Rock, you know what their mannerisms are, and you're watching them mock each other. That's just entertainment at its best right there. Yeah, the crowd was going fucking bananas, dude. Yeah. The, the, the crowd went bananas for most. It was a great crowd, this crowd. And they were going bananas for this. Yep. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about how after that we did our annual introduction of the Hall of Fame class, mm-hmm. class 2004. In this class, uh, former... WWF, WWF champion, superstar Billy Graham, who was the first heel wrestler to get a lengthy run with the what we now know as the WWE championship. Such as in the early days when Bruno was ready to lose his title, he would drop it to the heel for a month and then they put it on that would Vince McMahon Sr. thought would be the next big face. First was Pedro Morales. Years later was Bob Backlund. But, uh, but Superstar Billy Graham was the first heel, and he influenced so many wrestlers through the years. Hulk Hogan, Jesse the Body Ventura. I mean, a lot of the stuff they did were direct ripoffs of Superstar yeah. Billy Graham. Just look at how, how, how like the guys you mentioned now, uh, Jesse Ventura, Hulk Hogan, even the way they physically looked was yeah. very much, very, very similar to Superstar Billy Graham with the, the longer blonde hair, the real, real big build, the goatee. It was a, it was an exact replica of, of like what Billy Graham was. Uh, um, another huge house of a man that was inducted was the original Rock, Don Morocco, mm-hmm. uh, a garden legend. Without a doubt, well, of course, most of us remember his big moment with Superfly Snuka hitting him with the splash off the top of the steel yep. cage. Uh, joining them was a was former United States and Intercontinental Champion Greg the Hammer Valentine. Uh, Greg the Hammer ran with the United States title back in the uh, old Mid-South, which was the precursor to WCW in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, before he came to WWE and really established himself as a top mid-card guy throughout the years. Uh, had a ill-fated tag team with the Honky Tonk Man at the end of his career, Rhythm and Blues. Yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> you want to talk about a man that looked miserable at what he was doing? Greg the Hammer Valentine as a country music star. What were they thinking? <laughs> you know what? At the time, it was entertaining, and you, and you know what? Are you they sure? Ha- and they had Jimmy Hart as the manager, right? Was it Jimmy Hart? Was Jimmy Talk Hart Man? was the man? Because Jimmy Hart was a great manager. He was a great mouthpiece. Yeah. But Honky Talk Man was a great talker too, man. He was. He was. And you know what? Yeah. I think I think it was a, Valentine was never a good talker. So put him in a team with guys like Honky Talk Man and Jimmy Hart to kind of help put uh, Valentine over. Of course, Greg the Hammer's teammate, Honky Tonk Man, will be joining him in the Hall of Fame this year. This year, yep. The greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. 
Um, Joy and Emma, we already talked about Bobby DeBraid. We got to talk about the next man, seven-time NWA champion, Harley Race, maybe the baddest motherfucker in the history of the business. But before we go on, Doc, I do want to mention that when oh. they inducted Bobby the Brain Heenan, I was actually really surprised they didn't have Mean Gene inducted. They had Blackjack Lanza uh, do the induction. I know Blackjack Lanza probably goes way back with Bobby Heenan back to the... Yeah, that has to go back to the AWA, AWA days for days. Bobby the Brain. Yeah. But it's like... But in terms of of the, the fans of WWF, WWE at the time... Uh, they know Bobby Heenan and they know Mean Gene. They know the relationship those two had. I think that would have made more sense in terms of kayfabe. Yeah, in terms of kayfabe. I said thank you. That's the word. In terms of kayfabe, I, I don't know. I I would have liked to have seen Mean Gene be the one to induct Bobby Heenan, but that, that's just my personal preference. Well, I think I think everybody's first choice to induct Bobby to Brain was unfortunately I passed been, on by that point. It would have been which is of course Grillo Monsoon. Yeah. yeah. But also I mean, at this point the, they weren't really showing the Hall of Fame on television for the fans anyway, unless you no, got think, tickets to go there. So I think you could like buy it on VHS at this point if you wanted yes. to. Yeah. Wait, VHS so. what, what 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 is that? What is VHS? <laughs> it's 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 this thing. It's a big it's tape. a big box. <laughs> The big box with a fuck ton of tape in it. And on the tape is the information. You put it in this bigger black box that plays the big black box of tape. Wow. <laughs> Technology, bro. Technology, bro. Anyway, so after Har- we, let's get to Harley Race. Seven-time NWA champion Harley Race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think outside of Ric Flair, that is the most NWA title runs of all time. And actually, I think him and Flair both have seven NWA title runs. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, um, Harley Race, maybe the bad, and like I said the baddest motherfucker to ever lace up the boots. People didn't cross him. People hired him as protection on the road. Mm-hmm. Like he kicked the shit out of anybody who questioned legitimacy of football. I'm a football. I'm sorry, of wrestling, including football players. Right. There's lots of known stories of just Harley always being the guy that you never fucking crossed, yeah. and was a constant professional in the rain. I mean, his his match with uh, Ric Flair at Starcade 83 is one of the great torch-passing moments in the history of pro wrestling. Um, he was just as old-school of a wrestler as you could possibly think of. Yeah. And Holly Race, he is the original king. Yeah, when he came to WWF back in the 80s, he became the king in the rain, the original king. He was the original king, king Harley Race. Yep. Uh, let's move on from Harley. Let's talk about Big John Studd, uh, one of the two posthumous posthumous, posthumous inductees of the yeah. night. Big John Studd, of course, uh, I'd say his two biggest achievements in WWE, the the WrestleMania, original WrestleMania, the first one, the body slam match mm-hmm. with Andre, and then um, what a $10,000 body slam match. And, of course, he was the winner of the 1989 Royal Rumble, the first ever Royal Rumble on pay-per-view. Correct, yeah. It was the second yeah, any, Royal Rumble ever, but the first one on pay-per-view. Right, yeah. right. Uh, any thoughts about Big John Studd? He he was just your stereotypical big man back in the day. He was he he fit in the land of the giants that Vince McMahon had his vision on. Uh, Vince McMahon, uh, Vincent K. McMahon, the Vince McMahon that we all know and love. Uh, but yeah, Big John Studd was he did his job. It's unfortunate he didn't have a longer career with WWF at the time and, and maybe get have some titles. But he, he fit perfectly in too. the 80s. He died. He, yeah. I think he died young. I don't think he even hit 50. 
Um, yeah. I can't. I yeah. So let's talk about the next um, inductee that couldn't join us because of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, one junkyard dog. Good old JYD. Yeah, you want to talk about a character that anybody in the audience can eat up. So much charisma, so much flair. Um, a guy who definitely suffered from being in the same prom- being a face in the same promotion as Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. Yeah. You know, I'm sure if he would have went to a smaller, and then he did go to smaller territories and win. You know, but uh, definitely a, a huge fan favorite. I don't think anybody does anything more than smile when they hear JYD's name get brought up. Yep. Yeah, there's really nothing bad you can say about him. He he was great in ring. He was a great performer. Like you said, he was very, very charismatic, and he was a fan favorite for a long time. It was really, really unfortunate when when he passed. Uh, and the way he passed, too, he passed because uh, of a serious car accident that he was in that he, was, right. he didn't come out of. It's really, really unfortunate. But um, So between the two of them, both of their children, so Big John Studd's son and Junkyard Dog's daughter, uh, right. They both received uh, the honor for their for their fathers. Um, yeah, it was a really unfortunate though passing for for both of these two uh, th- these two superstars. Let's talk about uh, the next man on the list: a multiple time Intercontinental Champion, a former tag team champion, one Tito Santana, El Matador, and li- later in his career, of course, uh, took the El Matador gimmick and. Helped put over Shawn Michaels and one of Shawn Michaels' earliest uh, singles feuds mm-hmm. after uh, the super kick uh, heard around the world. <laughs> you know, T- Tito Santana was actually in line to be like one of the next big things up until Shawn Michaels uh, uh, super kicked Marty Jannetty through the barbershop glass. And then Shawn Michaels became such a big name and had a great singles career. So Shawn Michaels kind of surpassed Tito Santana at that point. So it's actually right. interesting to think about what would have been if Tito Santana really stuck out as the star and he surpassed someone like Shawn Michaels, at, le- at least at it's- that time. It's funny because Tito's career at that point, when he's when when Sean broke up the Rockers and turned heel, Tito was kind of at this point where like Kofi Kingston was maybe like a year ago before the fans really got behind him. Right. Here's a guy who has just carried it in the mid card for years. He's won tag titles. He's won Intercontinental titles. He's had big time matches with all the big names, and he just never has been was able to get to that top run. A lot of that had to do with Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and, and Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. They were the big three during that time. It's understandable. But it would have been nice to see maybe Tito get like just a short time, maybe in a different time when there's like nowadays there's a lot more TV than there was back then, a lot more live TV. Maybe in a different time you might have seen Tito win like the title on Raw at some point. Right. You know, but nowadays Tito Santana is a high school gym teacher in our home state of New Jersey. Yes, he is. How cool was that? I wish, I wish Tito Santana was my was gym my teacher. My gym teacher, cool right? <laughs> Do you think one of the activities is like pro wrestling? Is wrestling? Like they set oh, up a ring and Tito, I and Tito so, just teaches you how to work? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he was like one of the wrestling coaches for the school too. Wouldn't surprise me. That would, that would um, let's move on. Let's move on to the, uh, the second WWE champion that was inducted this year. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, a one-time WWE champion. Uh, Sergeant, <laughs> what a career for this guy. Comes up with this character. The, the G.I. Joe franchise like 
basically adopts this character too into their shows. So now he's like rocking on WWE. He's rocking on GI Joe, which was the shit back in the eighties. Yep. I forget you know? watch that and shit then every event- Saturday morning. And then, and then in the early nineties, Sergeant Slaughter has the audacity to turn heel on America and start one of the most vile heel wrestler wrestling campaigns or wrestling angles in the history of WWE. I mean, you want to talk about heat. This was right during desert storm becomes the Iraqi sympathizer beats the warrior at Royal rumble 91 all building up to a title match at Hogan at WrestleMania seven, which he of course would lose to Hogan because God forbid Hogan lose to anyone other than warrior at WrestleMania. Right. You know, there's a few things you could say about slaughter. First of all, Talk about keeping kayfabe alive, man. You know, we've been talking recently about The Undertaker and whatnot, but Sergeant Slaughter, uh, I think his real name is Rob, Robert Remus or Bob Remus, but he lived the character Sergeant Slaughter. To this day, he is Still does, yeah. Sergeant Slaughter. Like, talk about keeping kayfabe alive. But his character, uh, even in the 80s when he turned heel and had the big feuds with guys like Hogan and Warrior, he was just perfect for that era. Um, I'm not saying he's an amazing mat technician or anything, but he was really good in the ring for did what his job. his job was. He did his job. Yeah. You're right. And then also, let's not forget about how how big of an impact he had on the, uh, the Attitude Era. Right, Sergeant the, Slobber. Sergeant Slobber. During the early early days of Degeneration X, man, they had the glasses with the windshield wipers. Windshield wipers. Like, fucking priceless, dude. Priceless. Such a good character during that time, too. He really helped enhance that faction. Dude, talk about really helping, like, put over the career of, like, put over, like, Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Exactly. Like, talk about a, a vet coming in and doing what he needs to do. To ensure the product continues at a high level. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was very. Some of these guys now. Some of these guys nowadays can learn a few things. Some of these guys. Oh yeah, no, I definitely agree. It was interesting that they chose him to be the commissioner at the time, but it's cool to see that Slaughter, even to this day, he's still involved with with the company WWE in some way. He's still on the the Legends contract, so he still um, he still supports and he he still is the WWE brand to this day. <laughs> He, he will not be going to AEW. No, he will not be. <laughs> he will not be asking for his release and going to Double or Nothing in May. <laughs> it's funny because you talk about Slaughter. I remember Slaughter. I know Slaughter was a face for years in the 80s, mm-hmm. but I remember him primarily as that Iraqi sympathizer heel. And I know he apologized and there was a whole segment and the crowd really liked it. But like, like my first earliest memories of Slaughter him being the biggest piece of shit in the world. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about uh, the celebrity inductee. Uh, this, I'm not sh- sure if this was the first celebrity inductee or not. I couldn't tell you for sure. It had to be one of the earliest. One uh, of the Pete earlier Rose. ones, I think, yeah. If not the first. This might have been actually, this might have been the first. It was Pete Rose. Pete Rose, of course, had done some work at prior... WWE events. I've never been a big fan of the celebrity wing of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, I feel like this was almost done, like to kind of stick it to Major League Baseball, because <laughs> I don't know. For those of you are baseball fans out there. Pete Rose is the the all time hit king of Major League Baseball. No one has gotten more base hits in the history of Major League Baseball. Problem 
was Pete Rose in the eighties got caught gambling on baseball, which is a huge no, no, you don't gamble on the sport you, you manage. Right. So he got banned from the game and he's now allowed in the hall of fame. And, and it's very controversial. A lot of baseball fans are like, he should be put there for his on field contributions. And I'm in that boat. I think Pete Rose has served his time and he served his crime and he should be in the hall of fame at this point. But I really just think WWE did this to stick it to like major league baseball and create headlines more than anything else. Because right. could you remember a memorable Pete Rose moment? Like, like Mike Tyson had a memorable moment at WrestleMania. Right. Like I do remember Pete Rose being choke slammed by Kane. Was that at WrestleMania? Was that WrestleMania? Was that would have been? That was a Pete Rose moment that I remember. I don't know if that was at Mania. I know Pete Rose. Yeah, but it been... wasn't the Mike. It wasn't Mike Tyson turning on was... DX. Right. But I know Pete yeah. Rose has been involved it with. I it think wasn't least... the battle. It wasn't the battle. It wasn't even the battle of the billionaires. As mm-hmm. you know, right? Because as you all, all know, our president's in the WWE Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. Um, well, so we do on. see him at this uh, WrestleMania later on in the night. We do see him later on in the night at WrestleMania. We will get to that. Um, let's talk about our final Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, another great uh, color commentator and a wrestler whose career ended too soon because of injuries. Let's talk about Jesse the Body Ventura. He had quite the career, and you know what? Even like we'll get to this later too in the night. But he did cut cut a promo uh, at this WrestleMania, and just hearing his voice, man, he had that that commentary voice. His voice too. It's like you had guys like Mean Gene, Bobby Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon, Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, but Jesse Ventura. Their their voices are made for commentary, are made for announcing, and. He was definitely a big, big name back in the 80s uh, uh, in wrestling, and um, he definitely deserved to be inducted into the Hall of Fame at this time. Jesse the Body Ventura was to Vince McMahon on commentary with Bobby DeBrain, was to Gorilla Monsoon. Exactly. Yeah, that was the other big team during the 80s, and the two worked really well together. Vince McMahon is not my favorite commentator, but my favorite work of his is with Jesse the Body Ventura. I, I, for the most part, I can't stand Vince McMahon Vince on McMahon commentary. Is t- Terrible on commentary. What a maneuver! <laughs> he tried he to put things it. over so much. It was just, ah, oh, he it's tried so hard. Because he's so different from the Mr. McMahon character. It's yep. so funny. Yeah. Best, best decision McMahon ever made with his career was taking yeah. himself off commentary and putting himself in the, the storylines. Yep. Anyway, so that's the Hall of Fame class. The match stacked coming out of that. Fame. Stacked, stacked Hall of Fame class. class. Very, very stacked class. Mm-hmm. Two, two, two former WWE champions, a seven-time NWA champion. A couple, we got one, two, three Intercontinental champions in there. Um, two legendary commentators. So, you, and, and a former Royal Rumble winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a solid Hall of Fame class. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the next match of the night. Next match of the night was the eye candy match of the night. Sable and this year's Hall of Fame, one of this year's Hall of Fame inductees, Tori Wilson, took on Miss Jackie, not Jacqueline, Miss Jackie, and all day legs, Stacey Keebler. Mm-hmm. Talk about a match that would never work in WWE anymore. Nope. And this is one of them. There is no chance in hell Vince could ever pull off this. Four women getting in a ring willfully stripping down to their bras and panties and then having which it really wasn't a terrible wrestling match it was short but it wasn't it wasn't i've seen worse 
since right. this match and like in the time between this match and like the Reaper and the women's evolution, I saw worse matches than this match. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny how this was supposed to be an evening gown match, but like you said, they willingly stripped down to their bra and panties to start the match because they were, they, they wanted to be more comfortable. So it ended up becoming just a regular match where they had to pin, you know, the, 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 the loser gets pinned one, two, three. But uh, yeah, man, they actually, there was some, Good offense, surprisingly good offense from even people like Sable and, um, and and Stacey who are not wrestlers, you know, who don't really have that training, but they, they looked decent in the ring. Yeah, man, stars- it would not go over uh, uh, during this, this evolution that we have right now. Not at all. Yeah, but the real stars in this match were Michael Cole and Taz on commentary. What? Those two are some unsung heroes, man. Those two were fucking great commentary for SmackDown at the time. Yeah, that could have been an uncomfortable train wreck to call. And Cole and 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 Taz are just dropping dimes and spitting fire during this match. It was freaking awesome. This is Cole asking, can I apply to be a cameraman? And they're laughing the whole time. Taz saying he's picking the blonde. They're all blonde. They're all blonde. blonde. And what's others? I mean, they were were pretty funny. And they weren't overtly raunchy like Jerry Lawler could get at times. Like, Jerry Lawler just got overtly raunchy and dirty old man. Like, Cole and Taz were actually kind of funny. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you could tell, like you said, they, they were laughing. You could tell they were just having a good time. They were having fun with what they were given. Like, hey, listen, you guys got to commentate an evening gown match with four women who are not wrestlers. They don't have actual wrestling training. The, were they divas at this time? No, they had the women's. No, training. they weren't. They were not divas, divas yet. So yeah, they they, there was still yet. the women's division, but they you could tell the two of them just had a really good time. And also going back to Taz. Taz was not a bad commentary uh, no, commentator. No, he wasn't. You know, he did very, very good Taz. at the table. Yeah, and I know, I, I know on his podcast, he's been very critical of the product at times nowadays, mm-hmm. especially when when Corbin was in charge of Raw and Raw's ratings were a disaster. Yeah. He was ripping the the product apart, as he should have been. The product sucked. We were yeah. ripping the fucking product apart then too. Yep. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, if WWE ever needed another commentator again, I mean, I would. Absolutely, think about hitting him. I mean, AEW should think about hitting up Taz. I think Taz might even go over better in AEW nowadays. Yeah. You know, um, can you imagine a Jim Ross Taz commentary team? That'd be interesting. That could be very interesting. I don't yeah. think the two of them ever sat at the table together. I'm not sure. I'm sure they did at some point. At at some point during their runs in WWE, maybe some point. Anyway, like look, so, look at how far we've come though in terms of women's uh, of the women's division. You know, with the evening far, gown matches, yeah. the bra and panties, to what we're looking at now. I mean, and now they just announced today that Charlotte, Becky, and Ronda are officially headlining main WrestleMania. Eventing main WrestleMania. eventing, headlining WrestleMania. But, you so know, it's we'll, interesting because we, we're going to get to it later because there was another women's championship match later on in the night, which was like night and day compared to this clusterfuck of a women's match. Um, <laughs> it, 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 you actually, within this... All right, so real quick. Vince McMahon called this WrestleMania... Uh, what was it? The the beginning again? Where, where it all, where it begins, all begins again. again. And you know what? In terms of the women's evolution, I'm not saying this was the start of it, so please don't 
you know, listeners, don't don't take my words and twist them and tweet at me. But if you look at this women's tag team match compared to the women's title match we're going to talk about later on in the night, like I said, night and day in terms of in-ring talent and legitimate athletes, legitimate wrestlers, legitimate right. women's superstars. And you know what? Where it all begins again, this was a, definitely a new beginning for the women's division at the time. Unfortunately, it did end up becoming the Divas division and then before it came back. But this was definitely um, um, a a glimpse into what the future was going to hold for the women. Absolutely. Um, After this, we get we get our first glimpse of the two men that this WrestleMania was was built around Mm -hmm. Um, the late the late greats, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. And they're just spitting fire backstage before their respective title match. Uh, crazy that the whole night centered around these two, and then three years later, they're both dead. Yeah, it, it's it's what such a, a shame, man. It, it, what an industry, man. Like I cried really hard when I when when I watched the Raw after both Guerrero and Benoit passed. I mean, I, I've I think before that, the last time I cried that much was when they had the memorial for Owen Hart. Right, I said the raw, the Benoit and Eddie Raws are right up there with the, with the Owen Hart Raw. Yeah, you know? I mean the Owen Hart Raw was rough because that was like, that was something else. I mean yeah. that was something that is that is that was Vince McMahon's like worst nightmare coming true. Yep, that was Owen Hart's worst nightmare coming true. It was every wrestler's worst nightmare coming true. Like yeah, Eddie died of well, I guess of cardiac arrest that wound up being, you know. Chris, of course, with the whole murder suicide thing, was there's that's always been shrouded in some sort of controversy. Mm-hmm. But like the Owen thing was, I mean, falling from the ceiling. I mean, shit, man. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? And people had to watch that. There's, there's, yeah. there's, there's nineteen thousand people in Kansas City or in the Can- greater Kansas City area who saw that happen. Yeah, which is really really sad uh but even going back to eddie and, and benoit even yeah. even both their passings were very unfortunate and we're not going to have a conversation about you know how uh th- how they both passed uh we are here to talk about these wrestlers and the legacy right. that they left and what they did during that era of wrestling because we are all wrestling fans we watch wrestling right. Because we enjoy the entertainment, we enjoy the sports entertainment, and for what they did for wrestling at this time was definitely one of the top headlines in all of wrestling. And it's really unfortunate that this WrestleMania is like the forgotten WrestleMania because of uh, because of one Chris Benoit. You know, we'll get into that later when we talk about the match. But let's talk about like this segment. Dude was great. It's you get to see two old friends who came up in wrestling together, and Guerrero is like pushing all of Benoit's buttons just to get him to get fired up for this match. And then it it was just such a good, a uh, good segment where Guerrero's purposely pissing off Benoit. Then Benoit gets in Guerrero's face. Guerrero's like, "Essay, that's what I've been trying to do all night. That's the Benoit that I believe in." <sighs> Dude, they worked I mean, together just as well as Triple H and Shawn Michaels did. Yeah. Exactly. And even three years down the road, when Benoit died three years later, he was in line for a major push again. Yeah. He was still relevant three years later, getting ready to be pushed to the top of the really right. I think the the rumor is they were prepped that he was ready for another world title run again. Yeah. He was supposed to get another world title run. And so anyway, let's move on. Again, 
No, I'm sorry, finish. During this time, Vince McMahon was not high on Benoit or Guerrero because they didn't fit the mold. They weren't the big right. giants that McMahon is used to. But you had superstars like Triple H, HBK, Undertaker, that were really uh, Steve Austin, that were really pushing for these two guys to to get that that push and and get that rocket strap. Yeah, you got to you got to be a moron to not see the, yeah. the potential for greatness in those two. Well, we yeah, and Eddie, that... who, and you get Eddie who could cross promote to the Latin market, Benoit yep. cross promotes to the Canadian market, mm-hmm. which are both markets are huge for WWE. I just, I just wonder. I, I, I would love to go inside Vince McMahon's brain for a day and see what he thinks about. Well, we all know that Vince McMahon is very tunnel visioned, and he has this one idea in his head that it has to be this, and he, he doesn't like to. I don't know, I'm not going to say he doesn't like to because he has over the years, but he it takes him a while to to mold into into the times and really change with the times. It does, but he, he still has a lot of respect from his, from most of his employees, so he he's does. doing most things right. Yeah, right. Uh, let's talk about the next match. Uh, it was cruiserweight open for the for what, the original WWE cruiserweight title. Uh, cruiserweight open is code word for a gauntlet match, and let's talk about some of the participants. Shannon Moore, a young Shannon Moore, an old Ultimo Dragon, mm-hmm. Jamie Noble. Ultimo Dragon in his first WrestleMania. In his first WrestleMania, yes. Uh, Jamie Noble, mm-hmm. a quick appearance from Funaki, <laughs> a quick appearance from Nunzio from the full-blooded Italians. Uh, Tajiri Akio was involved. Uh, Kidman, who was jacked at this point. Uh, uh, the legendary Rey Mysterio. And the then and the champion Chavo Guerrero Jr. Uh, this match was completely built. It was a spot fest until Ray got involved, and the whole thing was built around Ray and Chavo. It's a fun spot fest, yeah. but it wasn't until Ray got involved that we really started seeing some storytelling. And I really started seeing some good in ring like psychology work going on. And it wasn't very long he got to face Chavo. Chavo won with some help from Chavo Classic, who walked him down to the ring, and. Uh, I said everything built up to Ray and Chavo, which solid feud. Great, you know, great, great workers. Ray is a legend. It's crazy when you see Ray back then and you see Ray now and how he's like almost completely reinvented his offense. Yeah. Yeah. He really has. He, uh, when Ray left WWE for a while and went off to Lucha Underground in New Japan and stuff, he really added a lot to his arsenal and his offense. He, he just gets better every time. Like, we go, we talk about people like Chris Jericho, who reinvents himself. Rey Mysterio does, too. Yes, he does. He's, uh, he was dressed like the Flash for this. Yes. For this this, was, this one he came out like the, the, Flash. the Flash costume. Boom. Awesome. Reinvented. Yep. Anyway, so Chavo, Chavo wins. It was, it was quick in terms of a gauntlet match. Probably the quickest gauntlet match you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. And that brought us to the match that was originally supposed to be the co-main event of the night, along with the triple threat, the first encounter between Bill Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, both men well-known, worst secrets in pro wrestling that they were departing. Goldberg had told uh, Vince he was unhappy at the end of 2003. So Vince is like, okay, your contract's up in 2004. You're going to lose to Lesnar, and we're going to put Lesnar over, and that's going to be go. And then, I mean, weeks before WrestleMania, Lesnar, who was burnt out from travel, he, he wasn't. I don't think he expected the schedule he was getting. 
I thought he would. I don't know if there was just young and inexperienced in his part. So Lesnar tells Vince, I'm leaving to go play football. And of course, at this point, you know, Vince is building Brock as his next Hogan. You know, and I guess that and that role went to Cena after Brock left. But Brock was being, I mean, nobody was rocket strapped like Brock Lesnar was rocket strapped upon his debut. I mean, he just was the guy. He was the next big thing. And he pretty much left Vince out to dry. And he left the fans out to dry. And the Garden Faithful let these two, especially Brock, hear it. I think there was a little more sympathy for Goldberg because Goldberg was a lot more honest about his, like, he's like, hey, I signed a one-year contract. I'm not renewing. Right. And whereas Lesnar kind of, he, they kind of screwed up, but he screwed WrestleMania 20. Yeah. He really did. This whole match got a lot of heat, but like you said, Goldberg still had his core fans that were still out there rooting for him. You know, right. you still had the Goldberg chant. He got a pop. It was a small pop when he entered, when he came out, but he got a pop more, more than than Brock Lesnar got. He caught a lot of heat, too. There were plenty of Goldberg sucks chants going on through the night, too. Oh, yeah. uh, when Brock gets to the ring, I mean, he's, granted with a, he's greeted with a chorus of you sold out and na 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 chance and it's it was the first time you really saw the internet start to show its face in wrestling mm-hmm. you know internet wrestling fans and smart fans because everybody knew what was going on yeah you couldn't make this a work i mean they put austin in there to try to the, their special guest referee austin was showing up everybody all people wanted to see was austin stun both those motherfuckers yep and Austin, and, which was, he did. and Austin was the most over out of all three of them in the ring, and he was the right. ref. And he was kind of sub-feuding with Lesnar at the time, and you know, of course we all know the history of Brock and Stone Cold. Stone Cold didn't want to put Brock over, and he walked out. And uh, this was a WWE got kind of handed lemons, and they made some lemonade with this situation, right? You know, because after the match was over, you know, they just I'm sure they just went to Steve, and they said. Take them both out with stunners. I, I want them. I want people going nuts here. Yeah. <laughs> I want my mid fight. Like I want my moment. And yeah. you know, it was a great Stone Cold moment. Great Stone Cold moment. Yeah, one was, of his last moments. He was he was off TV for a long time for years after this Stone Cold. Yeah, isn't it, it's crazy how all three of them were pretty much out of the WWE after this for a while. Right. And I think Stone Cold didn't really come back and like make himself a part of active programming until Tough Enough. Mm-hmm. That season he hosted Tough Enough, oh, yeah, which was the that. best season. Which was easily the best season of Tough Enough ever. Right. <laughs> easily. Anyway, so um, Lesnar was originally supposed to win. Of course, when he screwed Vince, um, Vince changed the plans and Goldberg got the win. And they didn't finish their story until well, 2017. Yeah, was when they finally finished his story and did it. And they got a second chance and the crowd was, was into it. The match was kind of shitty. I mean... It's just a bunch of finishers, very yeah, underwhelming. But, but you know what? It, but it, it was made, what were it you expecting? The right, the right person won originally. Like it, it, the way the feud went the second time around was right. Goldberg won, and then Lesnar got him back. But I thought it was done very, very well the second time around. It was short, it was to the point, but it was done well. This is what they should have done back during around this time during WrestleMania 20. Booked right, but would have liked to have seen a better match. And you know what? Lesnar and Goldberg, they weren't awful in this. For for two guys kind of phoning it in, they weren't awful in this match at WrestleMania 20. Yeah, but, but when, I mean, they had to be pissed because the car, the the Garden took over. Yeah, they took what, this match over. 
But going back to what you were saying, how you wish it would have been like a better match, you can't expect much out of Goldberg. We've known that since his days in WCW. He's a one-trick pony. He does three or four, maybe five offensive moves, and that's it. He, he's not a wrestler. He's a character. But if you know? Lesnar would have given a shit, he could have carried Goldberg at this point. Yeah, and, and we've, seen, we've seen Lesnar carry wrestlers before. So, yeah, okay, on, on right. that statement, I, I could agree. I could agree. Right, right. But so, pretty much oh. at this point, this whole match was on the card just to lead to the end result, which was, like you said, Austin drinking the beers and giving them both stunners. Right. Yeah, Lesnar flipped off the crowd, ate a stunner. Uh, Austin chugged some beer. Goldberg came in. Goldberg ate a stunner. And Lesnar, of course, his run in the NFL was just he – didn't make, he didn't even make it. He didn't even close to making it. He actually there's, – there's comments in him saying, like, those guys are athletes on another level, and the dedication they put to their craft is just unbelievable, and that's just not my game. So, of course, Brock went into MMA after that, had a very successful MMA career before coming back after WrestleMania. It was the Raw after WrestleMania 27? Sounds right. Sounds right, yeah. That was yeah, around gonna, the time I'm, I'm, that I wasn't really watching WWE. Might have been the Raw after WrestleMania 28, actually. Yes, the Raw after WrestleMania 28. Because that year he went and he smoked Cena at SummerSlam and then lost to Triple H at WrestleMania 29 at Mania. Yeah, yeah. After that segment, after the fans basically revolted on the match that was given to them, Vince walks out, breaks character, and thanks the fans for making WWE what it is. Today, 20 WrestleManias later, and got a great pop from the fans, but legit broken, not Mr. McMahon. And that was very quick, very sweet. Vince just thanking the people who put him there. Yeah, it was very, very ironic where, when uh, the timing that Vince came out and did this, uh, it, it was nice to see Vince being genuine, and it, and it wasn't a work. You know, right. it, was, it was almost like he was thanking the fans for booing Goldberg and Lesnar out of the WWE. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was very, thank very you. interesting thank timing you, for this segment. Thank you, Garden Faithful. I can always count on you. <laughs> <laughs> so then we had our next tag team match of the night. The, the champs in SmackDown were Scotty Tuhati and Rikishi, and they defended their titles against the Passion Brothers, the world's greatest tag team of Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. And the APA, of course, Farouk and Bradshaw. Um, this was kind of the end of the APA, towards the end of the APA Bradshaw time. Because by WrestleMania 21, Bradshaw was the WW champion as a JBL character. Um, just Scotty Tuhati and Rikishi, man. They were, I loved Rikishi, man. Rikishi was funny as shit, yeah. dude. He, he was a great wrestler, man. And again, someone like Rikishi spent a long time in WWE and went through a lot of different gimmicks, too. Yep, the head shrinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then, and then he, he, he was Sultan? fat, too. He was the Sultan. Sultan, yep. Yep, yeah. and then... He, uh, he was a, a good hand that always did the best he could with what was given to him. Right, and he finally made it work with... Really made it work for himself with Scotty Too Hotty and Too Cool. They were mm-hmm. definitely, you know... Think of what R-Truth and Carmella are today. Right. And I can almost like think that's what you know, what uh, too cool was. Um, Scotty, I mean, the Rikishi uh, wound up pinning Charlie Haas for the win. Nothing terrible, nothing to write home about. Comedy characters done right, Scotty, too hot and Rikishi. It's the best way I can look at them. Yeah. De- yeah. Definitely the, 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 the right team in, in this case uh, won 
because uh, like, like you said, this was pretty much the end of APA. Ron Simmons w- w- was hanging up the boots pretty soon, and this was going to be the rise now of the new JBL character going into the new year. Uh, World's Greatest Tag Team didn't last very long after this. Sending with the Basham Brothers, who actually ended up uh, b- becoming part of JBL's cabinet. Oh, right. <laughs> That's, you know, I just thought of that. Uh, the World's Greatest Tag Team had some nice runs in the indies after they, they left did. WWE. Yep. Yeah, especially, you know, most notably in ROH, in my, mm-hmm. in my head. Um, There's a good match up to the right home about. Next segment's interesting, and we touched upon this a little bit earlier. Jesse the, Jesse the Body comes to the ring, and he comes out to interview a celebrity in the audience. And that celebrity is none other than longtime WWF fan and longtime supporter to WWF and WWE. The man who basically like sponsored WrestleMania's four and five mm-hmm. and is now the president of these United States, one Donald Trump. <laughs> Some Donald funny, fucking funny, Trump. ironic shit going on here. Mm-hmm. One. Trump is legitimately the same motherfucker now as he was then because Jesse Devani answered him a question and he completely did not answer the question and started talking know. about something else. <laughs> and then Jesse, of course, made his famous, we need a wrestler in the White House in 2008, even though the 2004 election hadn't happened yet, but in 2008. And of course, the ironic thing is we got our WWE Hall of Famer in the Hall of Fame in 2016, none other than President Donald Trump, who, yes, is in the WWE. I was there. I saw him on the ramp at WrestleMania 29, the year he got inducted. Do you think the president will be at WrestleMania this year? I don't think so. No. Could you imagine if he was, like, some sort of big surprise? <laughs> what if, we have a what special if he guest comes tonight. out oh, and, the and goes, goes to Alexa Bliss and goes, you're fired. And then he, he takes over as the host of WrestleMania. Oh, nuclear heat, dude. Ooh. Nuclear heat. It would be awesome. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and it is kind Maybe of ironic. A, a sitting United States president hosts WrestleMania. <laughs> you know, I, I think dude. it's ironic because I think around this time, Trump was also in talks about potentially running for president back yeah, then as well. I mean, he's had presidential. Not to get, I don't want to get too political. He talked yeah. about running for president in the '80s, so it was oh, him wanting to be president was always in the back of his mind. I just find it funny that Ventura, who, yeah, and it says that we need a wrestler in the White House in 2008, and well, Jesse got what he wanted eight years later. Yep, <laughs> maybe not a wrestler, but a W, a Hall of one Famer, of his, a Hall of Famer, yes. Mm. Hall of Famer. The President of the United States is in the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, unbelievable. What a All world. Right. What a world. Let's move on, Let's to, the move ne- on to, to the next, next match. The defense <laughs> of the women's title. For the seventh time in the history of WrestleMania, the women's championship was defended. Uh, Victoria was the champ. Uh, Victoria, very vastly underrated wrestler. Man, could she go. Um, and she was great in TNA, too. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, it was TNA at the time. Very, very good wrestler. WWE, I think, dropped the ball on. She yeah. could have done. They could have done so much more with her. Uh, she faced Molly Holly. This was also a hair versus hair match. Mm-hmm. So there was a stipulation, which stipulations are always fun. It gets the crowd more interested. Uh, um, such a contrast of styles from the bra and panties match, like you were saying. Yeah. Now these were two legit wrestlers, legit superstars. Like I agree, man. Victoria, very underrated. 
Um, Victoria is going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm surprised she's not in the friggin' Hall of Fame yet. But she is gonna a future Hall of Famer. Victoria is someone that would fit in today's women's evolution uh, very, very easily. Uh, and also, this match was the start of um, a really different Molly Holly because Molly Holly, you know, ends up losing the match and gets her head shaved, uh, which, you know, according to reports, this whole thing was Molly Holly's idea. Molly right, Holly yeah. approached Bruce Pritchard and McMahon with, hey, I'm, I, I, what do you say we do a hair versus hair match and I'll shave my head? She was all for it. Vince McMahon sure said, it. ah, cut your hair. I yeah. love it. Cut your hair. I love it. Right in the garden. Crazy yeah. go nuts. It's going to be great. But Molly Holly also a fantastic in-ring performer. And yeah. uh, th- this all was the definitely... All the Hollies are pretty good in the ring. They all, they all were. They were all very, very good yeah. in-ring performers. But uh, Molly Holly was a fantastic character as well, and this was just a great match for the for the again for what the match was. They put on a great great show. Right, absolutely. Um, so after that, we got the first of our two world title matches of the night. Um, an absolute classic, an all time classic. Uh, Kurt Angle challenged Eddie Guerrero for his WWE Championship. Uh, Eddie had never Eddie has, had never been more on fire in his career at any point in time than he was. During early during 2004, I think we can all agree with that. Um, Kurt was in his prime. He was nobody can match him in ring at this point. Nobody to this day. I don't know if anybody can match. I mean, you got a two time national champion NCAA wrestler, mm-hmm. and a, an Olympic gold medals that he won with a broken freaking neck. Freaking neck. Yep. So uh, obviously, he's one of the all time. He's going to be all the one of the all time great Mac technicians. And man, these two work so. Well together, you have the kind of high flying Eddie, the Matt technician Kurt, but they both have the same intensity and the same desire, and it translated so well in this match. Eddie, who he could have like slapped your mother in the face and you would have cheered him. That's how that's how <laughs> yep. good of a heel he was. Yeah, you know, and the in ring psychology in this match, the storytelling, just the actual physical wrestling itself, and then Eddie winning with the loose boot at the end. It's very creative booking. One of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. Yeah, hands down. But yeah. like, that, that was just, like, whoever thought of that for Eddie, hey, you know, we know Kurt Angle's finishing moves, the, the, the ankle lock. So Eddie's going to loosen his shoelaces so when Angle gets the ankle lock on him, he can slip his foot at it. Dude, that's fucking, who booked that? That was so good. We need to see more creative was shit like this. Pritchard was, was in charge, still around right? during WrestleMania 20. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, dude, it was such smart booking. And like you said, two c- contrasting styles, but they had such great chemistry in the ring. And, dude, you're right. This was when Kurt was in his prime. Kurt looked and moved so good in this match. Not like he moves now, where he could barely turn his neck over. So, but, dude, this was... It's so sad to watch Kurt wrestle now compared to the way he was back uh, during this time. I just choose to remember the great Kurt Angle. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, I mean, most wrestlers don't have it like they did at the end of their career. As long as they can still do something. Like, at least Kurt can go out there and still be somewhat entertaining, yeah. like, in the ring. And, like, do what he can do. best. When, when Kurt was on all cylinders in a primary career, I mean, nobody was better in the ring. Mm-hmm. Nobody was better in the ring. Not even Shawn Michaels. Right. So... Yeah. Anyway, classic match, classic booking. Takes us to, this was kind of the beginning of like the trio of main event moments of the night. 
So the match, the world title match that we just talked about was the first was the first of three huge matches of the night. Uh, three main event caliber matches. The second was the return of Deadman Undertaker, which Undertaker was not too keen to come back on. And if you look at Undertaker in this match, he comes out the Druids, the Deadman, the place goes ape shit. He's got his hat on his, and, and his the, the, the big duster, Paul Bearer. But when he gets to the rain and he takes off the jacket he takes off the hat he kind of looks like badass taker again he's dressed like badass taker he's got the fighting gloves on which he never wore as the dead man so almost like this 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 new dead man taker is almost a hybrid of dead man and the american it's the taker that we're still pretty much seeing today i think he's gotten a little more back towards the dead man as he's gotten older now but this was definitely a combo of his two characters it was almost a compromise taker didn't want to do it they convinced him into doing it and this was probably the best way to go back because it was still a little fresh. And man, the place went fucking bananas when that gong hit, dude. Yeah, and it and the mad. story too, the way they brought him back made sense. It was it was smart to to, to have him in an angle with his brother Kane, uh, where Kane buries the American badass alive and he comes back he comes back to life as the dead man. So the whole story made sense. Um, now. Yeah, you said, dude, the crowd was hot, man. The crowd was fucking hot. I mean, who? when is the crowd not hot for the dead man? I mean, we, especially after you had it. He hasn't been the character since, what, 1998-ish at this point? Yeah. 1999 was when he kind of got, he went away from the dead man. So it's been a while now. I knew I was excited to see the dead man back in 2004. Because I liked the American Badass and Big Evil. I dug the gimmicks, but I was ready for the dead man to come back because that's the taker I grew up with and loved. You know, the guy you couldn't keep down. And he was all, when he sat up on oh, when he sat up in this match and like Kane turned around, saw him and like almost peed himself. And Fucking he, priceless you know, dude. I don't want to talk just about Taker. We gotta talk about Kane's performance yeah. in this match too. Again, this Absolutely. was not this was not their best match together. They've had better they put on better matches, but Kane's performance in this match was Fucking fantastic! I always liked this Kane the best when he had when he didn't have the mask and he had no tank top on, just had the, the tights on. And um, I didn't like that he cut his own promos, uh, you know, because he went from not talking to talking like a robot to then cutting full promos. But Kane, this was the best Kane. He was in fucking the best shape of his career. Um, and Kane was just in such good fucking storyline. So this whole segment, this whole match. This whole story was perfect for the time. Absolutely. As I thought Taker looked great in this match. I mean, he came out and he just worked it perfectly. They both worked the crap. Two vets that really know what they're doing. Yeah. It, must, it must have been awesome to be there for that. Like, yeah. I, you, people, probably, people, I would be getting goosebumps. Anyway, so let's go on to the main event of the night. Um... The World Heavyweight Championship was on the line. Triple H was the champion, the leader of Evolution, and he was being challenged by the Royal Rumble winner, Chris Benoit, and his longtime rival, Shawn Michaels, who kind of worked himself into this triple threat because his prior two matches against Triple H at the Royal Rumble and their epic encounter on Monday Night Raw right before the Royal Rumble, one of the greatest Raw matches ever, by the way. Uh, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, early 2004. It might have even been late 2003. Um, It was was in between the December pay-per-view and the Royal Rumble. And they both ended dirty. Shawn wasn't happy. Shawn attacked Benoit because Benoit wouldn't give his spot up. Bischoff made it a triple threat. 
And thank you, um, Bischoff. Thank you, Eric Bischoff. Thank you, Man, Bischoff. Th- thank you, Eric Bischoff. The greatest triple threat match of all time. And Benoit was so over at this point. Oh, now, man. They were all over. All three of them were over uh, in a certain way during this this era. But out of the three, Benoit was... Everyone knew that Benoit was, was the next guy. Benoit he was, was the, the Daniel Bryan of the new era. Time. Yes. He was the Daniel yes. Bryan, man. What Daniel Bryan was during that WrestleMania 30 run-up 10 years later is what Benoit was in that run-up to WrestleMania 20. Sean was always no always was notorious for getting heat in New York City no yeah. matter what. So it was easy to make him the bag of it. But how about Sean's blade job in this match? Ooh, <laughs> talk about a crimson mask. Dude, he, he, he cut his up and he just started his face was covered in blood immediately. And immediately. this was when, when Triple H finally looked at him. You saw Triple H's face like, dude, what the fuck happened? And then Triple and then H did a blade, blade job, and he's like, "You know what? I, I'm, 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 I'm gonna see you. I see what you're doing. But I'm gonna up you one now." And you know who benefits the most out of all that? Who benefited Benoit. the most? Benoit. The Canadian made him look Triple so much tougher. The Wolverine. One moment at this match, and it was cool. When, when the great, great moment at match when they suplex uh, Benoit through the through the SmackDown announce table, yep. and, and the two, and the triple, then Michaels goes to the ring, and the two of them just look at each other. Sean points at him and brings him in and it's just like yeah even moment. at that point even no matter how much the crowd loved Benoit the, the crowd ate that up too because Sean and Tripp are fucking great and they know how to work an audience and at that ending segment where Triple H taps out to the cross face and no one taps out to moves like Triple H is awesome at taking submissions he has been his whole career man he really knows how to milk a submission and like really make it look like he like is using every bit of energy he has until he finally dies out. He did it to Taker when he submitted the Hell's Gate in, uh, I think, 27 is when he, he near submitted the Hell's Gate. Right. So, I mean, just a clinic in storytelling. Uh, and, and every clinic clinic in, in, like, I hope Ronda and Becky and Charlotte watch that match so they can, like, see the pacing. And the storytelling and how they broke up the segments because that's what I'm going to compare Rhonda and Becky and Charlotte's triple threat match to. I'm going to compare it like to the pedestal that I put the Benoit Michaels and Triple H triple threat match on. Agreed. Uh, I I already view the whole Becky Charlotte Rhonda feud similar to the Benoit uh, HBK Triple H feud, but this match, man, five star match. Voted Easy. five stars by the oh, uh, by by the I torch can't. by Melter. It's it's a fucking damn shame, man, that uh, this is the Forgotten Mania, and that if you ever look up anything about this match under WWE, Benoit was never involved in the match. It was never yeah. for, it was just a one-on-one match between Triple H and Shawn Michaels. It's a fucking damn shame. Damn, I'm not going to talk about Chris Benoit the person. I'm not going to talk about what happened in his personal life. It's unfortunate. It sucks what happened. But you can't take away the fucking guy's legacy, man. The dude is a legend in so many ways. And I'm, and I hold it very strongly to my heart. He will be in the Hall of Fame one day. I know he will. Uh, maybe someday down the line. Down. This is 
not the time or I'm place. I'm not saying where anytime like, soon, but this time, this America in 2019 is not the place where a guy like Chris Benoit gets inducted into any Hall of Fame. But you know, maybe 10, 20 years from now, once it's kind of like, I don't want to say forgotten about, but once you can kind of, once the people that were alive for it don't give a shit as much anymore, that's what. You'll see Benoit in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Another MVP of this match, and he was an MVP of many WrestleMania matches throughout the years. Fucking JR, man. Goddamn stud Dude, in this match. Talk about putting this match over. JR did fucking grade A work stud. during this match. It's one of JR's finest, but so many wrestlers in this match mm-hmm. had and and, and and so many people involved in this match had their finest moments in their career from Eddie coming out with Benoit to, to, to hang with Benoit at the end, JR's call in the match, all three guys in the match. I mean, so many great things should have come out of this match mm-hmm. and all of it is fucking vanished from history in WWE's eyes. It's, like, it's a kind of a crime, man. I, I, yeah. I understand like the situation they're in with Benoit, but a man, uh, like yeah okay, it didn't end right. But should, does that mean you erase a man's life's work? That's a that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, when when, when you and I watched watched this pay per view back, we were talking about it. Like, I am very good at separating the superstar, the celebrity, whatever, from the person. Like I said, Chris Benoit, the person aside, the whole situation aside, Chris Benoit, the wrestler, dude, the fucking guy's legacy is just amazing it, bar none one of the best fucking legends of wrestling he was a great in-ring worker may not have been the best promo but he was great for what he did and at this time you know why benoit was so over because at this time the there were more hardcore fans than there were casual fans so a lot of the hardcore fans knew who benoit was from his days as the wild pegasus in new japan from his days as a horseman in WCW. Right. And then when he came to WWF as a radical with Guerrero, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko. So people have been watching this guy's career forever. This was he, his crowning moment right here. Dude, he was the precursor to AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins and CM Punk. Yep. Like he was the original man. He was he was the guy. Exactly. Exactly. Guys like he was the fucking original. We said it earlier. Guys like him and Eddie Guerrero really broke the mold and paved the way for, like you said, guys like Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. You know, if it wasn't for for the radicals, I'm I'm still going to call them the radicals. That's what they came in as. If it wasn't for them, it would we would still I think we'd still be in the land of the giants. Yeah, they really they really changed how you can book pro wrestling and the top of the card. You're absolutely right, man. The radicals, you know, I mean, you could have you could say that started with Bret Hart, but it got real it got real with the radicals. Now it's just like not only are these guys pretty much be the top of the card, the giants in the back, the triple H's and the Undertakers. And now Sean's not a giant, but Sean's a legend. And he's right. always been Vince's boy, you know. But even those guys were like, yo, these guys, nobody works harder than these guys. No one wrestles better than these guys. They cut great promos. And the fans fucking love them. They love the story. Right. People love rags to riches. And in New York City, a blue-collar city with a blue-collar wrestling fan base, 
We want to see guys, and we're a part of that fan base, that tri-state area fan base. We want to see the guys that bust their ass to get there. That's yeah. what we're into. And, you know, and this, we should we should see that Benoit Eddie Guerrero moment on every single WrestleMania montage. Thank and you. we're never going to fucking see it, man. Thank you. I mean, Doc, you, you, you saw me even 15 years later. You and I watched this pay-per-view back, and I was still marking out over that Chris Benoit Eddie Guerrero moment at the end of the fucking match. I mean, I was marking out. I, mean, I, I always mark out over the, the finish, the end of that match, with when he has the Crippler on, and I know it's coming. I'm just like, mm-hmm. it's coming. And every time I see Triple H tap out, like, I just, it, I, I, it's the, it, it's, I still get goosebumps, man. Yeah. One of my favorite wrestling moments ever. I'm, I remember watching it when I was in college. It was a freaking awesome moment. I wonder what, like, Triple H and Shawn Michaels, like, I wonder what Triple H like what he lives with knowing that he was the guy that put him over and like all of that fight he had, like it went for like, not man. I, I feel like that's gotta be a demon inside of him, man. I, I, I could see that. Uh, I don't think him and HBK were ever, ever very vocal about Benoit after what happened. I know people like Bret Hart, Chris Jericho went, uh, had interviews and were pretty vocal about the whole incident. But, uh, that's yeah. I, I could definitely see that being uh, something that sticks in the back of Triple H's mind. Yeah, the guy you, the guy you pretty much handpicked to be the next you. Yeah. And and fuck man, like just fuck. Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna get into the whole like I said the whole story about the whole Benoit situation, but there's definitely that, some, I don't, some potential it's just, stories. Some it potential... sucks that this this whole. The whole thing the whole was thing erased sucks. from time. I know. I know. It's fucking. It's a damn shame. It's, a it's damn probably. Shame. It's might. I mean, WrestleMania 20 might be the greatest WrestleMania. I would say this it's and WrestleMania the, 17 are probably the two the greatest best. WrestleManias of all time. And yeah. WrestleMania three one. Yeah, was, but one no three. three you think Hulk Andre? Yeah. Hulk Andre? Yeah, yeah. The problem with Hulk WrestleMania three. I mean, it's not a problem. I mean, there is one of the. Greatest matches of all time, the Intercontinental title match. Mm-hmm. There's one of the greatest moments of all time with Hulk slamming Andre. Right. But the rest of the card, average at best. Yeah. You had two great moments and then average at best. Yeah. I mean, 17 and 2000 from front to back are great cards. Mm-hmm. Not 2000, 17 and 20. Not 2000. Oh, God, 2000 right. God, was no. rough. God, no. 17. <laughs> 17 and 20 are just stacked cards. Two of the greats. And one of them you can't even fucking talk about. Yeah. Um, let's end this on a better note. Let's put a vision in our head of one of the, of Chris Benoit and Eddie in the rain together, smiling, celebrating. Both That's the vision. I'm always going to keep with both the, the champions coming down in Madison square garden. garden. At the fucking garden, man. Yeah. The last garden WrestleMania. That, what that's a fucking a storybook night, ending right there. Um, other stuff we had before I go off. Let's talk about a couple other weird things before we sign off. Not weird things, but there's a lot of guys in this mania that are going to be wrestling at this year's WrestleMania. Amongst them, that's Triple right. H. Mm-hmm. Triple H will be Kurt Angle will be wrestling at this year's WrestleMania. Batista. Batista will be at this year's WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, Rey Mysterio will be at this year's WrestleMania. Yes, he will. And I think there was another one. I'm scrolling back to my notes right now. 
There was one more that's going to be at this. Oh, Lesnar. Brock, Brock Lesnar. Lesnar. Right. Brock Lesnar. All the and Tori Wilson will be there Tori in the Wilson Hall of Fame class. Hall of Fame. Yep. Um, there's who knows if Rocky will show up or Foley will show up. <laughs> we might see Shelton Benjamin. I see Shelton, Shelton Benjamin's on the roster right now. He's yep. not booked in a match yet. And I believe that and is it. Chris Jericho, of course, is still going, but he'll be, he's in AEW now. Yeah. And Undertaker who knows, we, might we, show up. Undertaker and Cena could show up. You know, I think we're more likely to see Cena than Undertaker. Right. Because I still don't think Angle and Baron Corbin's really happening at WrestleMania. And I really hope not either. I hope not. <laughs> I, I really hope not. Anyway, either way, um, I've had a blast talking about this WrestleMania. It's one of my all-time favorite WWE pay-per-views. Um, I love most – almost every Garden show was fucking awesome. Yeah. And this might have been – this is really the end of, like, WWE's, like, WrestleMania era and Madison Square Garden. The next year is at the Staples Center, and since then they've been in football stadiums. It's WrestleMania 22. They've all been in football stadiums. Yep. There's something to be said about seeing the garden here at WrestleMania. There's something to be said about the fans being that close. Mm-hmm. And at, you can't recreate that electric atmosphere at a football stadium. Right. You, you just just can't. Unless it has a dome on it. When it has a dome and it can trap some sound, you can do it. But, man, there's just nothing like seeing matches at the garden before the renovation especially. Just the best place to ever – best fans, best seats, best vibe. And they every everything delivered at this, especially them. I wish, I wish, I hope we get to see another WrestleMania at the Garden at some point in our lifetimes. It would it definitely mean that WWE got less popular, but I would love to see at least one more at the Garden. And because you could say what you want about the stadiums, nothing. I haven't seen a stadium WrestleMania that tops that vibe from that night ever. No, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you, man. This was definitely a fun trip down memory lane, uh, getting to reminisce about. The, again, one of the best WrestleManias ever. Uh, like we, we've been saying it throughout the night. It's unfortunate this is the forgotten WrestleMania, but if you haven't ever, if you've never seen this WrestleMania, then you need to go on the network right now and watch WrestleMania 20 and just think about what we've said about about this card and just watch it from start to finish, and you're going to to feel exactly how we felt when we watched it back in 2004. You know, you, you still yeah. you still get that feeling. Doc and I watched it a few days ago, 15 years later, and I still felt like I was watching it for the first time in 2004. You, uh, it, it gives you the, 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 this feeling, you know, of of just watching such a great product on this big stage. And the whole production, you can't compare this production to, like, any other events out there. They, they did this so well. Like you said earlier in the night, this was like a glorified Monday Night Raw with all the backstage segments. But talk about pacing and the flow of the night was done perfect. If I was Dave Meltzer and I was, and they asked me to give this WrestleMania stars, I'd give it fucking ten stars. <laughs> I would Seven break, title matches, I man. would break the five-star scale and just give it ten fucking stars. Seven title matches, return of the take of, ta- of Dead Man Taker... Um, it's just awesome, awesome moment. A passing of the torch from Rock and Sock to Evolution. I mean, you couldn't ask for more. That being said, before we uh, sign off, if you're going to be at this year's WrestleMania at MetLife Stadium on April 7th, make sure you hang out in the parking lot at the fourth wall tailgate. We're going to have 
games. We're going to have prizes. We're going to have cornhole. We're going to have kayfabe music. All our friends from the Wrestle Addict Radio Network will be there. And we hope to see you all there that night. Anything else to say before we go, Bones? Please come to our tailgate on April 7th. We're going to be there from 11 a.m. to 4. We're going to be streaming live on Twitter uh, at the event. We're also going to be posting uh, things on Instagram and on our Facebook. So give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fourth Wallcast. Uh, we'll be there from 11 to 4. We'll be letting everyone know as we get closer to the event where we'll be in the parking lot. So we hope to see you guys there. Good day, right. For all our fam out there in Wrestle Podcast land, on behalf of JC Bones, I am your good Dr. Doc Haas. This has been K-Fabe Classics, and I will see you all again very soon. Have a good night, everyone. Chris Benoit for Hall of Fame 2020. <laughs>